Well, welcome to the Compass Church, everybody here at Hobson and all of those of you at 95th. It is so much fun to be with you. Fun and awkward, is it not? Let's just go back there. One One of the most awkward moments of my life was when I proposed to my wife. And rather than giving me an answer right away, she was so startled that it just took forever for her to say yes or no. And that awkward moment as I kind of waited, ah, please say yes, I feel like I'm there again. You know what I mean? Uh, and so I have proposed marriage, if you will, and tomorrow night, uh, or tonight, for those of you at the hop, or at 95th, you, you get to tell me yes or no. I'm not against begging, you know, I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, there was some, uh, some suggestions that maybe a good way topically to handle today's message would be to uh, share a bit of my story, and so I chose to go that route. I want to share a bit of my story. Now, I, at first I thought I'd tell my whole story, but I, I can't do that. I can share a part of it, a significant part of it, about me and my transition into being used by God in ministry. And as I look at my story, one of the biblical characters that I relate to so profoundly is Gideon. Remember Gideon in the Old Testament? And so I'd like to look at his life, study it together, and as we study Gideon's life, also share Uh, some more of my story and hopes that maybe my story can encourage you, but also in hopes that you can get to know me a little better. Sound good? So I want to start in Judges chapter 6 verse 11. It says there that the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz, who was of the clan of Abizar. A beezier. How do you say that? I don't know. It's a, uh, I'm not very good at pronouncing some Old Testament names. Anyways, so Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat. I want to talk about this word I can't pronounce. A beezer. This clan that Gideon was a part of is introduced right away in this first verse. And being a part of that clan is significant. It's not immediately apparent to us what the significance of being in this clan or family of Abizer is. But if you look a little later, Gideon explains the significance of that clan. So let's go to verse 15 and, and understand. Gideon is responding to God's invitation for him to become a leader. And, and Gideon says in verse 15, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel for my clan? That's the clan of Abizer. My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. So when we discover that Gideon is part of this clan of Bezer, that's actually a testimony to how pitiful this man Gideon is. He says, in the tribe of Manasseh, this clan is like the weakest. It is pathetic. Uh, This family that I'm born into is a joke. And yet he says, I am the least in my family. And so this Abizer reference is a connection to the the very small self-esteem that Gideon had. Gideon had a sense of inferiority. He had this sense of weakness, this timidness. And I will tell you that I, uh, in my early days, tremendously struggled 
with low self-esteem. I was profoundly weak. I was born uh, with asthma. I struggled with asthma very badly as a young man. And back then, they didn't have the inhalers that we asthmatics enjoy today. And so instead, I had to take this medication, these pills that just filled my body with steroids that absolutely killed my appetite. And as a result, I was a profoundly skinny, scrawny little young man. I, I was kind of like a bobblehead. You know, bobblehead statues, you know, I have a huge, huge head. Uh, it doesn't look as huge now, but you got to trust me. Back when I was going into high school, I weighed 98 pounds. So I had this big on this little skinny frame. And as a result of my weakness, I was very, very insecure. Very insecure. This will kind of prove my point, if you will. Uh, Going into high school, I I thought I should lift weights to try to. uh, This is my old weight belt from back when I was going into high school. I did not lift weights at school because no one who looks like a bobblehead wants to walk into the weight room at school, and so I I did it at home. I had my little dumbbars that you know were about three pounds each. You know, I do my very best. This just makes the point. So on this little weight belt, I used to, I remember it clearly, latch this baby on the smallest place you could latch it. Isn't that great? And uh, believe it or not, my waist was that big around. Can you believe that? When I said, you know, my, it's the same size as my head. I mean, look at that. I, I was a bobblehead. No. My tiny frailness was a problem. Praise the Lord, that problem has been resolved. What do you think, huh? Which one do you think it's at this time? Yeah, there you go. I can't even close that. Problem solved, new problem to address. Yeah. But I really struggled with great insecurity as a kid, like Gideon. And I just felt I am the weakest man in the land. And as a result, I just thought my life was without potential. Yeah. Well, there's more about Gideon that we can learn. Let's continue our study. It says then in uh, verse 15, oh, I'm sorry, verse 11. I want to go back to continue on at 11. If you recall, we already saw that an angel has come down and sat next to Gideon where he's threshing wheat. And here's what it says the rest of 11. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. Why is he in a hole? Back then they used to, a wine press was dug in the ground. So why is the guy threshing wheat in a hole? And the verse says, to hide, to hide the grain from the Midianites. The Midianites were the, the enemy, this bully nation that was just robbing and stealing and beating up on the Israelites. And so Gideon, thought, I am going to hide in a hole and thresh wheat. Threshing wheat didn't make sense in a hole. You always thresh wheat where the wind was strong. You'd go up on a hill where you could let the wind take away the chaff. And so it was not practical to thresh wheat in a hole. But Gideon was terrified. He was so fearful of this evil nation Midian that he trembled and was willing to try to thresh wheat from a hole in order to avoid his enemy. Gideon was not only insecure about his strength, he was filled with fear. And as a young man, I was terrified. I was 
plagued with fear, particularly fear with people. As evidence of this, I uh, went to a homecoming uh, a few years back, a high school home reunion, you know, one of those important ones. And I didn't want to go. My wife wanted to, you know. She, she had insisted that we go to one of hers, and Jen went to Barrington High School where she was one of the most popular kids ever. And so I was very bored at her uh, reunion because I stood there as people literally lined up to talk to my bride, so excited to meet her, you know. And I was like, well, tell me when it's over, you know. And when it, when it came to mine, I told Jen, I go, Jen, I told you that I didn't have a lot of friends uh, back in high school, so to go back really doesn't make a lot of sense. She said, I want to see, Jen and I started dating back in high school, but I I went to Buffalo Grove High School. She went to Barrington High School. I was very careful to separate our school lives. I never wanted her to realize what a nerd I was in, in high school and how fearful I was of people and as a result, avoiding them. Jen insisted. She goes, it would be so good for you to go back and to meet those people. I'm like, all right, let's go. And so I went to my reunion, that fancy banquet, and, you know, they put on this little name tag with a picture of me of what I looked like back then, 98-pound guy, remember the skinny one? And uh, it was one of the most awkward experiences of my life. My wife says, introduce me to some people you knew, you know, and I'm like wandering this way. Oh, I recognize that person. Do they know you? No. And my wife was like, does anybody know you? No. I found one person, you know, where I'm like, look at the picture. Remember? Oh, yeah, you were that shy blonde kid, you know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. It was so awkward. High school was a day that I just tried to hide uh, I'm, I'm all with Gideon. Hiding in a hole is the way I preferred to live back then. Can any of you relate? Any of you plagued with insecurities and fears? Yeah, you're in good company. Well, let, let's continue the study of Gideon. It says in verse 12 that the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon And said, so Gideon's in the hole, threshing wheat. And the angel of the Lord says this, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, what do you think Gideon did? Gideon was like, who are you talking to? You know, he's looking around. There's there's no mighty heroes around here. There's just a weakling hiding in a hole. That's what there is. No mighty heroes. But it's funny. God sees us differently than we see ourselves. Did you ever notice that? We tend to have this view of ourselves based on our comparison to others. And the Lord's really not interested in what others are like. He's interested in who he made us to be. And though Gideon couldn't see it at this moment, God did. And God said, you, Gideon, are a mighty hero in the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God. Isn't that a great passage? Well, the Lord... The angel of the Lord. You know, actually, this is one of those confusing passages. Like the next verse is going to say that the Lord said. 
in the previous verse said that the angel of the Lord said. And sometimes we want to say, who's talking? Is it the angel of the Lord or is it the Lord? And one of the things we find about the angel of the Lord is often he is a physical manifestation of God himself. In other words, God can't let people see him in all of his glory or we die. And so God often in the Old Testament, uh, maybe in the New as well, God manifested or appeared in the form of an angel. But it is actually God himself appearing to Gideon. The Lord turned to Gideon, verse 14, and he said to him, Gideon, go. Calling you, buddy. Go with the strength you have. (laughs) Remember, he thinks he's a weakling. God says, I think you're strong. Go with the strength you have. And you rescue Israel from the Midianites. Gideon, I'm sending you. This was a moment where God was calling Gideon out of the shadows and into service, into leadership to advance God's cause. Gideon freaked out. This is in verse 15. We've already read that verse, but I'll read it again. But the but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? You know, my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. In verse 16, here's the key. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. Remember earlier he said, go with the strength you have? Well, what's the strength he has? The strength he's got is God. I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites. Isn't that an incredible passage? This is kind of a debate, if you will. It's an argument. Uh, Gideon is saying, I don't know what you're talking about, God. You've got the wrong person. I'm a nobody. I am a scaredy cat. I am a weakling. You need somebody. You better keep looking because I'm the wrong guy. And the Lord is saying, no, you've got me, Gideon. And because you have me, you have a strength you don't know of yet. And because of that strength, you are a mighty hero in my eyes. And I'm telling you to go. Go lead your people. Go lead them against the enemy. Go lead them to victory. (laughs) I can relate to this. I had a similar type moment. Now, my moment did not come in the form of an angel appearing to me under a tree while I was in a hole. That would have been awesome, but rather, my moment came with God calling on the phone. I I have an old phone here. Back when God called me, phones were like this. Do you remember these babies? Uh, These are classics, huh? Well, it was back when I was in college, actually. It was the summer between my, my... sophomore and junior year. I had come back home from Wheaton College, and I was ready to have a normal summer when the very first day back from school, I got a phone call from my old junior high youth pastor at my church named Rob. My mom said, hey, Jeff, Rob's on the phone for you. And I'm like, hello, Rob. And and he said, hey, Jeff, I need you. And I'm like, what what do you need, Rob? And Rob said, Jeff, I need you to lead a small group of junior high students for me this summer. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that, Rob. And and he said, why not? And I had a lot of excuses. I said, Rob, I, I am terrified of public speaking. I explained to him that even saying a few things in front of a group of six junior hires was utterly terrifying to me. I said, I can't do it. 
And then I explained to him, I hate junior hires. <laughs> I don't anymore, for those of you who are junior hires. I said, I hated junior hires when I was in junior high. I hated life when I was in junior high. I vowed to forget that part of life and those people forever and ever. Amen. I'm, your, I'm the wrong guy, Rob. Nice of you to think of me, but I'm the wrong guy. And, and Rob started arguing with me. He said, he said to me, Jeff, I believe that with God's help, he could use you. <laughs> what is he saying? Jeff, I believe you're a mighty hero. Well, he didn't go that far. But he said, I think in God's hands, there is sufficient strength for you to impact the lives of junior high students. And I said, you're crazy, Rob. There is, there is nobody less likely that I know to have an impact in the lives of junior high students. And he said, you're wrong. You are absolutely wrong. In God's hands, Jeff, you could be mightily used in these students. And he kept arguing, and he wore me down. I finally said, all right, it's going to go badly, but I'll do it. I'll be your junior high small group leader. And I said, who are these kids? And he said, well, now that you've committed, let me tell you that I'm giving you all the troublemakers. <laughs> he said, not only am I giving you the troublemakers, they've given up on the youth group. In some cases, I've kicked them out, he said. They haven't attended in a year, but their names are still on our roster. He goes, it's six boys I haven't seen in a year. I'd like you to try to reach out to them and see if you can get them back involved and get them back with Jesus. And I'm like, oh, this is like the worst job ever, Rob. You can't do this to me. And he's like, thanks, Jeff, for volunteering. I'm so excited. You know, I'm like, oh. Well, that was my moment, you know, where God was reaching to me through the phone, through my junior high youth pastor, and calling me out of the hole and saying, Jeff, I want to use you. Well, let's take a look at what happened to Gideon. <laughs> the Midianites attack, all right? The Midianites come in force, they invade the land, and at this crucial moment, it's time for Gideon to step up and be the man, be the leader, the hero that God said he should be. I love verse 34. Let's read it. It says, Then the Lord, I'm sorry, then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. Wow, that's a strong verb. And Gideon blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abizer came to him. So I love trying to imagine what this moment was like. Remember the scaredy cat, the wimpy guy who's been told by God, you're my man, go. Well, this battle is ensuing, and the enemy is approach, approaching, and Gideon realizes this is the moment God was talking about. And I can imagine Gideon, you know, getting up and taking this trumpet, you know, and he's just shaking like a leaf. And he's like, Lord, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can try to be the leader. God says, blow the trumpet. And in that moment, the Spirit of God falls on Gideon. The, the, the person of God, the third person of the Trinity, entered into Gideon. The passage says, took hold of him captured him. And then Gideon filled with a courage that wasn't his own. And then Gideon filled with an effectiveness at leadership that wasn't his own, that was of the Spirit. 
he lifted up that trumpet and, and he blew it as a call to battle. And to his amazement, all the members of his family, the clan, the extended family, all started to come to him. And he says, I think we need to go to battle. And they said, we're with you. I think, and he actually had a plan. Let's take a look at the next verse. The next verse says this. Verse 35, Gideon also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. And so Gideon says to his family members, the first thing we need to do is I need you to go as messengers to the other tribes and call the warriors to battle and tell them to come to me because I am galvanizing the troops. And they're like, yes, sir, Gideon. And Gideon's like, wow, I can't believe they're listening to me. And they run off. And to his amazement, this massive army forms. 32,000 warriors gather to respond to the leadership of this Gideon. What a glorious moment. Folks, I got to go back to what happened with me. It started off good. I, 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 brilliant. I thought, you know, if I invite these kids who have given up on the youth group, if I invite them to a Bible study at first, they're just going to laugh at me. So this is what I did. I called them up and I said, hey, uh, I'm organizing a trip to uh, Six Flags Great America. Are you interested in joining me? You know, junior hires who are stuck at home with nothing to do, all six of them. So I don't know who you are, but if you'll take us to Great America, we're on board. And so I went around with my, uh, I had a forerunner SUV. I picked them all up, loaded up my car with junior hires, and we, we went, and we had a blast. And I bonded with these guys, you know. They didn't care how nerdy I was. They thought I was great because I was taking them to this place. At the end of the day, I said to him, hey, guys, I was interested in starting a, a Bible study this summer, getting together every week, have some fun, play some games, study the Bible. What do you think? To my shock, all six of them said, yeah, yeah, I'm in for that. And to my amazement, all six of those kids came every week that summer. I didn't know what I was doing with Bible study, but I'm like, ah, uh, Let's, let's uh, read it and maybe talk about it. I don't know. And they were into it to my amazement. And we talked. And these junior high school students journeyed back to the fellowship of junior hires at the church and journeyed back to Jesus Christ. I was blown away. The Spirit of God had fallen on me and was enabling me to do what I should not have been able to do. I was flying so high. I went back to college, and I thought, I, I'm working with students. I'm like a youth pastor. This is awesome. And I went to this young uh, church plant that was just starting up, and I, I, I said, hey, I want to work with your students. And they said, well, here's our youth pastor. They introduced me. He said, why don't you come out to our first youth group event? So I did. I went. There were just like six kids there. Um, I, I talked with these six kids and this youth pastor. We had this pitiful little Bible study, but I was stoked. And wouldn't you know, two weeks into it, the youth pastor quit. Just quit. And these six students looked to me, and they said, would you be our youth pastor? And I said, this is unbelievable. Yes, I will. I'm a youth pastor now. I'm not just leading a small group, though it's still a small group, but I'm the, like the main guy. This is unbelievable. And I started diving into it and doing 
games and having activities. And that little group quickly grew to 30 junior high kids. I was having the time of my life. There's more lesson here that I need that we need to study together. Let's go uh, to the next event in Gideon's life. Gideon's got all of these uh, soldiers, thirty-two thousand of them to be exact. And here's what happens: right when he's ready to rush off to bed, oh, I I forgot to say something. There are two lessons that I want to bring. Here's the first one: God specializes in using ordinary people. Can, Can we see that lesson here? Gideon is painfully ordinary, fear-filled, lacking any confidence, low self-esteem, and God says, you're just my guy. Could it be that as Gideon said, I'm not your type, Lord, the Lord was saying, actually, your fear and low self-esteem makes you exactly the type I specialize in. Here's what I would argue. When people are most ordinary... When God uses them, he gets the most glory. Isn't that true? When, when it's so obvious that this person is just normal and they're used by God, the people realize this must be a divine thing. God must be involved and he is praised. So I think if you're saying I'm too ordinary to be used by God, praise God for your ordinariness because you're the type he specializes in. Congratulations. Your ordinariness is a great asset in the kingdom. All right, so now let's go on to the next lesson. Gideon's got 32,000 troops that are totally stoked and organized around him. And the Lord stops him. He's he's, he's ready to rush the battle, and God says, stop. Look at verse 2 of Judges 7. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors. (laughs) Now, let me just give you the numbers. Gideon's got 32,000, which is a lot. But the Midianites had over 100,000. So I can imagine Gideon arguing with his math, saying, no, I still don't have enough. And God says, no, you've got too many, too many. What are you talking about? God goes on in verse 2. God says, Gideon, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they have saved themselves by their own strength. You see what God's saying there? God says, you guys have a propensity to give yourselves the credit for the victory. You guys have a propensity to fail to recognize the essential role that I play, God says. And if you don't see the role I play, it's all a disaster. And so God says, you must recognize my role in the victory. And so I want you to reduce the size of your army. Isn't that funny? And God, God said, I want you to, Gideon, tell anybody who's afraid to go home. 20,000 soldiers said, I'm afraid. And Gideon said, go home. And so he went from 32,000 down to 10,000. And the Lord's like, still too big. Gideon says, what are you talking about? 10,000 against over 100,000? Still too big. God says, bring them down to the creek to get a drink. And if they use their hand to drink, keep them. If they just put their mouth in the water, send them home. And you know, only 300 of them drank using their hands. And so the Lord says in verse 7, 
The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you. And I will give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the other people home. (laughs) And so Gideon is like, this was like a cool story for a while there. But now everybody's gone and I'm left with this teeny army. And God says, it's all because I want you to rely on me and recognize my role in the victory. So let's go back to this, this point. God specializes in using ordinary people. We already said that, but let's add to that. Ordinary people who desperately depend on him. God got Gideon and his men to a place where they were so outnumbered that they would cling to the Lord desperately and recognize that it was his strength that won the day. I'll tell you how this worked in my life. I was cruising. I got 30 kids attending my youth group. You know, I had just so proud that I had responded to the call of God and was achieving such great victory. And then, wouldn't you know it, I got fired. I shouldn't be telling you this when I'm going for a vote, but let's just get the cat out of the bag here. I was fired. What happened was, uh, though the group had grown in size, there was no spiritual dynamic. The kids weren't really growing spiritually. No kids were coming to Christ. They were coming to the youth group, but not finding new life by trusting Christ. And the senior pastor fired me. Don't like senior pastors. <laughs> I hope, hope you do. Uh, he, he just, he said, Jeff, real graciously, he said, Jeff, uh, I had served about a year and a half at that point as the volunteer youth pastor. Thank you for your service, but I'm going to let you step down now, and we're going to bring in, he didn't, I think he may, I don't know. It seemed like what he said is we're going to bring in a real youth pastor, because that's the message that I received. And I was fired, and they brought in a real youth pastor. I was just crushed, crushed. But I bounced back and I said, you're not going to discourage Jeff Griffin. And I graduated from Wheaton College and I got a job again as a youth pastor of another small church plant. And I was so stoked. The pastor there said, I don't have any money to pay you. And I don't have really a church because we're just starting up. So there's no building. You have no facility. And so far in our core group, we have no high school students, but if you want to be the youth pastor, I'd love to extend that title to you. And I'm like, fantastic, you know. I mean, at that point, that's all I could get, so you got to take what you can get. And I was so excited to be the youth pastor, and I said, time to get ready, so I need volunteer leaders. And there were three young members of this little core that I thought they'd be good leaders, and so I recruited them. I said, hey, would you like to volunteer in the student ministries, high school and junior high, of this church. And they said, do we have a youth group? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to be meeting on Thursday nights. I had to meet in my parents' basement uh, because I had nowhere better to meet. And they said, okay, sure. So I was so proud of myself. I have recruited three uh, volunteer leaders. And we arrived on the first Thursday night. And they looked around and they said, there are no students in this youth group. And I said, I know, that's just minor details. We're going to get them. And I said, let's just use this time for leadership development, getting ready for when the students arrive. And they said, okay. And they did it. we did that the next week. 
and the next week, and the next week. And we kept meeting every Thursday, and I kept inviting students that I would meet out and about at McDonald's or wherever. I'd say, hey, you want to come to this youth group? And they'd always ask about it, and I'd have to admit they, there were no other students in this youth group, and that always freaked them out. And so I, <laughs> I was really not doing very well. Six months passed where we met me and my three leaders, every Thursday night to have youth group with no youth in the group. (laughs) I was so discouraged. I'll never forget, after six months, we went away on a vacation with my family to Colorado. And I was having a quiet time early one morning, and I was just despairing. I started reflecting over my ministry career First job, I was fired. No fruit spiritually really at all. Second job I've been at for six months, and I am a youth pastor without youth. I'm like, this is pathetic. This is unbelievable. Here I have abandoned my plans to be a doctor at this point, responding to what I believe is a call into full-time ministry, and I'm the worst pastor in the history of the world. And I'm just like... Lord, this is a train wreck. What is going on? And in that moment, in my despair, God spoke to me. And God said, Jeff Griffin, you had that little success with that summer when you worked with the junior high students, and you got all cocky. And you determined that you were something special on your own. And you've been operating for the last two and a half years in your own strength, believing that you can be this great pastor, accomplish great things. Well, the Lord said, I wanted to show you, Jeff. Now, I didn't hear this voice audibly, but I felt it in my heart and in my mind. God's saying, there you go, Jeff, two and a half years of absolutely zero fruit, forever proving all that you can accomplish on your own strength by your own greatness. And God said, don't ever. Leave me out again. I was beside myself. In that moment, it became so clear to me that I had been charging forward with this conviction that God uses ordinary people and saying, I'm going to make a world of difference for the Lord, failing to desperately rely on him. Well, I repented on that day, and I clung to the Lord, and I said, Lord, I'm never, ever, ever going to fail to rely on you again. The only hope I've got is that you show up and make a difference. Well, I came back from Colorado after that time of repentance, and the very first Sunday back, there was a new family visiting that had a high school student named Stacy. She was a freshman in high school, and I ran over to her after the service and said, Hi, I'm Jeff Griffin. I'm the high school youth pastor of this church. And here are my three volunteers. And we just, you know, we're all kind of hovering over this poor girl like vultures, you know. We wanted to invite you to our youth group. And she's like, this little church has a youth group? Oh, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. She goes, okay, where is it at? Can you give me directions? I'll come. Well, we're like, you don't need directions. We'll pick you up. <laughs> all three of us. They're going to pick you up. And that's what we did. We arrived in my car, me and my three leaders, and Stacy got in. And we were driving to my parents' basement, and I had to break the news to her. You know, I said, Stacy, there's a little something I need to tell you about this youth group. 
you're the only student that has ever attended and ever, ever. And she's like, this is weird. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of weird. But you can't get out of the car now. <laughs> I'm driving fast. And we had games down in my parents' basement, and we studied the Bible a little bit, and I cried out to God, God, you're my only hope. I know now what I can do on my own. And at the end of the night, I said, Stacy, do you want to come back to the youth group next Thursday night? And she said, sure, I'll come back. She said, can I bring a couple friends? <laughs> well, uh, we don't want to grow too fast, you know. <laughs> In 12 months from that moment, 75 high school students showed up, and the vast majority of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ and fell in love with Christ as Savior. I could not figure out what was going on. It was God. And God taught me in that moment, Jeff Griffin, I do specialize in using ordinary people, but only ordinary people who will be desperately dependent on me every moment of every day. Uh, that youth group was called 15th Street. And I keep a t-shirt folded up in a wooden box and on my credenza as a reminder of that lesson. And folks, as I look at the opportunity, the potential opportunity to come to the Compass Church as senior pastor, two things I know. I am so painfully ordinary, but that's okay. Because God specializes in using ordinary people. And number two, even though I've been doing ministry for 20 years, I better cling to the Lord in all desperate humility and dependence because he's my only hope. We could go down in a blaze of glory if I fail to rely on him, if you fail to rely on him. But if we'll cling to him, he will show up in miraculous ways. Will you pray with me? Lord, in your grace, I just want to thank you that you do use such ordinary, fearful, insecure, low self-esteem men and women like me and like these people. And God, I thank you for teaching us how important it is that we not grow self-confident, but always be God-confident. Teach us to cling to you, God, please. And remind us again and again and again. And when fruit starts to come into our lives as we make an impact, remind us again that it's you, that you're our only hope. Keep us desperately dependent on you all the days of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.